listening to the Prevailing Faith Broadcast, a podcast in Christ, with Pastor Charles E. Brown of the Prevailing Faith Bible Church in Monroe, Louisiana. Now, here's your host, Pastor Brown. Well, greetings and salutations to each one of my lovely listeners out there. We thank God for y'all tuning in tonight, but let me tell you, I'm in Louisiana, I'm an LSU alumni, and I watched that tremendous performance by the LSU Lady Tigers yesterday. It was phenomenal. Brought something to our university that we've not seen since the program was invented, and I thank God for what uh, Coach Mo- Kim Mulkey did, and each and every one of the players. What a tremendous commitment to excellence! And it's a shame the way people talk about you after you win. Um, but it was a it was a hard fought game. It was a game with a lot of good strategies, with some unbelievable players. But for me, I remember the old saying. Defense wins championships. And I don't know what it is. It's something about when you get to the big game, if you can play the best defense, you can win the game because it just, I guess emotions are so high and everything, but I don't want to get into all that. I just want to say congratulations, LSU Lady Tigers. I celebrate you, and I hope to see great and mighty things coming from you because, uh, you know, that's my hometown. Matter of fact, um, my next door neighbor before I moved up to Monroe was Simone Augusta's de- uh, grandfather. And so, you know, I, I, I got some reps in Baton Rouge. You heard me? And shout out to the um, Bayou, Bayou Barbie. I think they did an awesome job. They came against another tremendous team. And, um, you know, my concern, I thought they was going to have to play South Carolina because <laughs> that's one of our two losses was against South Carolina, and I don't know if anybody could accomplish what they did. And so, but anyway, let me do what God told me to do. I don't want to talk about basketball, but I am going to watch the game tonight because I love the end of uh, San Diego State when uh, in the thriller they're always asking, who did the murder? The butler did it. (laughs) And, and, And Mr. Butler hit that ball. At the last shot with two seconds left, that's tremendous. So I look for hopefully a very exciting game tonight. Wait, let's get before the Lord and and uh, come on, tell everybody we're on live. I am live. This is, uh, what today is? April 3rd. It's my youngest birthday. My son, my favorite son, it's his birthday. Y'all come on, wish my happy birthday to Christopher. Charles Brown, uh, the grocery store I go to when I give him my number, his name comes up. I don't know why, but for whatever reason it does. And the, and the young ones look at me funny. I say, yes, I'm Chris Brown's father. And they said, really? Yes, I am. But my Chris Brown has no criminal record. I know it's not the one you're thinking of, but the one I'm referring to, he is 
He has no criminal record, and I thank God for that. Faithful man of God, tremendous asset to everything that we're doing. And uh, when he gets committed to it, ooh, by goodness, he can he can put he can put his heart and soul into everything he's doing. Come on, let's invite the Father in. Oh, most glorious and magnificent Father, what an honor and a privilege it is to open up our spirit, soul, and body to you. To be reminded that you wanted us in this earth, in this time, and that you even planned for us. And Lord, your plan includes us honoring you and obeying you, submitting to your authority, that you have invested in us everything we needed to succeed. Our part is we have to submit ourselves, we have to agree or yield to you that you can fulfill everything you promise. And Father, I thank you that in your word we can cast every worry, every circumstance, every situation on you. Because you promised us that if we would trust in the Lord and lean not to our own understanding, as you make all things work for our good. I'm mixing up a couple of scriptures, but it's, it's still truth. And God, we here today as we ask your forgiveness for the mistakes we made, the trouble we've gotten ourselves in, the issues that we've not turned to you, allowing you to do it. But God, we here today that we might once again fully, completely, totally submit to the mission. Surrender to what you call us to do. To enjoy the favor and the guidance of God in our lives, in our plans, in our purposes. As we once again, my Father, yield our spirit, soul, and body to you. In the glorious, majestic name of Jesus, we say amen. Now, if you can see, we're still on intimacy. And it's in reference to that beautiful word that represents a close, endearing, loving relationship. You know, I have a very loving, caring relationship with God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit. I had I, I, uh, my mother's in heaven now with my father, but I had a very close relationship with my mother. I have children. I have a very intimate relationship with my children, and uh, my uh, my brother and sister-in-laws. I have very intimate relationship with all them. But the difference is, my wife and I not only have an intimate relationship, but we under the eyes of God, are considered one. And we also have the ability by the power of God and the strength of God to come together spirit, soul, and oh my God, body. That's right, baby. We come, when we come to God under the unction of the Holy Spirit, we're operating in what God wanted us to do. And it's a fulfillment and a promise that God will bless, encourage, and he wants us to do it. But the, what I got this when I was meditating about, God, what would you like me to share this evening? And it reminded me about, we would say that about, why not go back to the manufacturer? Because it's a simple fact. I used to be uh, in sales and we sold automobiles. And, and one of the things we would always go back, does it still have a warranty on it? How long is the warranty? How many miles? How long? You know, who, who's a manufacturer? Always going back and see now, even more, we were filling out some paperwork a little bit earlier this, today, and um, they had some terminologies we didn't understand. And so, and we, we thought about it almost simultaneously. Google it. 
take what they're asking and put it in and see what the response is. And what I'm saying to you is this. This is hard for you to hear if you don't believe God created the world. It won't make sense to you. If you still believe in the Big Bang Theory, but the difference is the Bible was here before the Big Bang Theory. Okay? And the Bible was the first book written through the Spirit of God for us. And it's a choice we make, either we accept it or we don't. But this is where I always let a guy refer me to this. This is a very bold statement. He says, chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis, in the beginning. He's taking credit for everything. That's a very bold statement. In the beginning, God, Jehovah, created the heaven and the earth. There is no heaven and is no earth without God. And he says, in the beginning, I created. I'm talking about God, not me personally. God created the heaven and the earth. He's taking responsibility. And see, this is something very difficult, especially to find some people in certain professions. They say it a lot about politicians. Taking responsibility for what you've done. God says, I created the heavens and the earth. I'm the one that did it. Because he says in verse 2, And the earth was without form. It was void. It was nothing. It was darkness. Darkness was on the the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And this is what's so significant about it for me. Because as you read more in the Bible, we'll say God is the the, uh, father of lights. But light always overcomes darkness. Darkness never overcomes light. Because you can look up uh, in certain times of the night or certain places and you can see stars. You can even on occasion see the moon because light is reflecting on it. It can be dark everywhere you, you are. But light is stronger than darkness. And that's the challenge because light can be around darkness, but darkness won't be around light because light is more brighter than darkness. And when they studied it, they say light travels 186,000 miles per second. You can't blink your eyes that fast. I think thoughts run about that fast. But God's the father of light. And when you travel at 186,000 miles per second, because you can't do it in, in this physical body, because if you do, it'll burn up. That's physics. You check them out. That's what they tell me, and I believe it. But this is the other point I want you to hear. Time stands still. So when God moves, he moves. He doesn't have time. Time is on us. But one of the things I want to, I'm saying, going back to the manufacturer, is that God is the only one that decided to create marriage. Because he said it in Genesis 2 and 24, Therefore, therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. He says when Adam and Eve came together in holy matrimony, they became one flesh. In other words, 
He looked at two, but he saw them as one. And he says in, in uh, Genesis 2 and 25, and they were both naked man and his wife and were ashamed. They're talking about after they ate the forbidden fruit. And the point I'm trying to make is God decided early on he wanted a man and a woman to join together in holy matrimony and be husband and wife. He decided it. He created it. He did it all. Because one of the things you have to remember, God didn't give you everything. You won't know everything. You may have a specialty in the English language, like I was listening to some of those described some of those uh, science fiction movies that we've enjoyed or, or heard where they'll speak in, uh, what was it, Star Wars? And they would get people that are literal uh, experts or study uh, uh, words, and they would create a language just for the particular movie, which I think is cute to a degree. I'm having no trouble trying to speak English, so. But anyway, I think it's cute. But the point I'm trying to make God is the creator of everything. And he's the one decided what he wanted. Now, I said this word earlier, and this guy's been dealing with me about the word submit or submission. There is a mission. Your life is a mission. Ephesians 1 says he predestinated. He already planned for you. He has a plan for your life just like for mine. And all I'm trying to do is to keep going to God to find out my instructions. Why, why, why is it, can it be so hard? Because I'm a human being. And human beings have the ability to think. And the problem with when we start thinking, if we don't control it by the word of God and the spirit of God, we'll go off. We'll forget what God has promised us. We'll forget what he's called us to do. But the point I'm trying to make early on, the Bible says in verse Genesis 3 and 8, Adam and his wife. Uh, verse 3 and 17, he says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. And what he's telling us, or reminding us, that Adam and Eve were considered one. Now, we all know the story with Adam and Eve. Adam, I'm sorry. Adam even didn't properly tell her or she ignored it when, the, when Satan came and offered her the forbidden fruit and she ate it. And then Adam, like so many men, followed his wife and she led him down the wrong place. And so what happened was the curse came. But what I want you to hear, when you come across a man and woman of God that is committed to God and they're both going after what God is calling to do, then that that they won't have the same issues like he's in reference to. They'll put themselves in a position where both of them are listening to God because they want to have God's best. And so that brought me back to... Uh, I brought. I saw this article on there written in uh, Home World Review. It says, this is from April 5th, 2020. According to the Bible, what is the definition of marriage? According to the Bible, 
The definition of marriage is a covenant between God to fulfill the commandments, the word of God, that a marriage requires, such as a man attending to his wife, physical, emotional needs, as well as sexual exclusivity. The Bible also talks about the role between a marriage and a marriage purpose. And when he says wife, when he says wife in Genesis means a woman married to a man or one together. I understand you may not believe this. I understand you may have wants and desire and love for somebody who's of the same sex. I understand that's what you're saying. I'm not putting you down. All I'm doing is sharing what he says. But this is one of the keys I know for a fact. In your relationship with God and in your relationship with your spouse, you got to communicate. And I'm not just talking to each other. I'm talking about listening to each other. Because the word talk and communicate, they kind of have them as the same definition. But if I'm communicating with you, to me, I'm imparting knowledge and wisdom. I'm giving you information. I'm feeding it or I'm sharing it with you in a manner, in a way that you can hear it and receive it. And what's so important for a marriage, one of the great things is for you and your spouse to communicate each other. Be able to express your love, your thoughts, your your feelings effectively as one that is joined together. Because the antonym or the opposite of communication is to hide or to hold back, keep secrets, uh, repress or crush each other or kill your relationship. I don't want to advocate that in my marriage. I want to advocate that we, as a God-loving couple, will put ourselves in a position that God can minister to us because I want to be able to communicate. And the truth is God wants to communicate with you. You know, I hear people say, I, I, uh, I used to say, I used to say this, you know, people say, well, the Bible said, the Bible can't talk, the newspaper can't talk, but that's because I was talking out of my ignorance. The Bible does talk. How do you know? Because you can take a scripture and think about it and God will start to reveal it to you Because he always goes by his scriptures. Always goes by his word. But then I was thinking about this. I was meditating on about about being in a position. To where you and your wife or your husband. Can uh, communicate with each other. I was thinking about this couple. In the Bible. That they were married. And um, all of a sudden. They come into the great and mighty King David. Turn to 1 Samuel 25, verse 3. And it says, Now the name of the man was Nabal. And Nabal means fool. And the name of the wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding. The word Abigail means my father is joy. But this is what you need to look for, men. When, you, when you're looking into the woman that you decided to marry or they're looking for the woman you're about to marry, you're looking for a woman with good under.
standing. I'm going to tell you the truth. I want, some, I want my wife to be smarter than me because I don't know everything. I don't want her to keep throwing it in my face that she's smarter than me. But I remind her, I said, look, we're no, no shotgun. We're no uh, uh, army behind you making you marry me. You marry me because you said you love me. But I still wanted to marry somebody that had more wisdom than me. Y'all get that tomorrow. I wanted to marry somebody that was wise or prudent. One that had knowledge. One that had good sense. Now, I didn't know she had all that when I married her. I just know I wanted somebody smart. I wanted somebody I was attracted to. I'm very attracted to my wife. Still am after a number of years. But there's another another part of this. I'm learning this since I got saved. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I got married when I was in the world. But God took care of me even in my foolishness. But he says... Abigail was known as a woman of wisdom, one that was wise, one that was prudent, one that was knowledgeable, one that has discretion. Don't run off and sleep with every Tom, Dick, and Harry for a Tom Collins. I'll get that tomorrow. A woman with insight. Now, that's the part that kind of struck me because one of the things I love about my wife, she has insight. And that word insight is from the psychological point of view means an understanding of relationships that sheds light on or helps solve problems. That's one of the reasons I wanted to come to God. I got tired of trying to handle this life without him. I got tired of being uh, beaten up, struck, uh, stricken because I wasn't listening to God. So I got tired. But now... I'm willing to listen. God, I'm all ears. And one of the things God does, he will use my wife. He'll use my wife to let me know that everything is all right. He'll use my wife to encourage me because she has insight. She has good sense. She has good emotional properties. But look at verse Let me finish reading verse 3. And she was a woman of good understanding. Is that your wife? Treasure her. And of a beautiful countenance. Hey, she was not just a pretty figure. She was smart. She had insight. And she was good looking. But the man was Kurdish or evil in his doings. And he was called of the house of Caleb. He was a descendant of Caleb. But verse 4, And David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. Now David had come off the battlefields. He was traveling to another part of the country. And his men were tired. They were weary. And they came across and they saw Nabal's tent. And so what they did was they protected Nabal. And he says, and as he was sitting out there protecting Nabal's uh, crop and his belongings, in verse 5, he says, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with a message for Nabal. And the message was very simple, peace and prosperity, verse 6, to you and your family and everything you own. David is giving honor to another man. 
He's giving him honor. Because the Bible tells you a soft answer gives, turns away wrath. And this is what, what God wants us to do. Even if the person doesn't understand or appreciate what you do for them. But he wants us to give them a, a kind answer. That's walking in love. In verse 7, 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 7. And I told, I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. Otherwise, he let them know, I ain't hurt them. I covered them. I protected them. Wouldn't it be nice if your children go somewhere? Because, you know, we having all this horrible stuff, people doing it to their children, even doing it to your own children. But he's saying, I covered your people. I did not take advantage of them. I recognize that you were from Nabal's camp. I did not harm them. I protect them. I gave them what I had. And so he says in verse 8, I ask your men and they will tell you this is true. In other words, get confirmation. I took care of your servants. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please, please. Look, look that's David. King David. Saying, please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David calling himself a friend and neighbor. Now, what's so significant about this? They didn't have refrigerators back then. So, so when uh, the milk came, you had to hurry up and drink it or it was going to spoil. And then, yes, they had some. They didn't have refrigerators to store meat like they do now. So. Uh, they may have kept some of it in salt, but you know, back then they liked fresh meat. <laughs> I give a shout out to Church Point, Louisiana, my chef. I went there many, many years ago to preach at a church out there with my dear friend, Pastor Hagen, who's going on to be with the Lord. But um, I got there and, he, and, and one of our favorite delicacies, you can get it at Popeye's, is dirty rice or rice dressing. We call it dirty rice. And it's delicious. But I ate it in church point and I kept having uh, gas. I kept burping. I couldn't figure it out. And somebody told me, fresh kill. I said, what? Fresh kill. What do you mean? He says, that pig you ate died the day you you ate it. Because see, you can go get pig, cow, whatever, chicken. You don't know how long ago those chickens were uh, uh, process and put on the counter. They put how long it's been sitting there when you need to eat it. But f- fresh meat, when it's cooked properly, tastes differently than meat that's been sitting on the shelves in a grocery store. I'm just telling you. He says, please share any provisions. Water. Um, a couple of sheep to feed them or a cow. Just something to help them. That's all he was asking for. And obviously, to the eye of David, see, it wouldn't hurt what he already has. And David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Now, you would think, you know, that's kind of what happened, too, with um, the men who served in Vietnam, they didn't ask to go fight. 
They joined the armed forces, were drafted in, and they fought bravely, gallantly. And But when they came back, there was so much hatred for the war that they, they wrongly treated people who were in armed service who fought in Vietnam. They were following orders. But instead of them celebrating them like Nabal should have done for David and his people, he got beside himself. Look at verse 10. Who is this fellow David? Now I know. They may have not had CNN and MSNBC or any of that. May have not had television, but them few million people that's on earth, they knew about David. Because David had killed Goliath at this time. So they knew about him. But what he was doing was he was throwing shade. You know what I'm saying? Anyhow know what shade means? You throwing shade at somebody that's trying to be nice to you. Don't show, I mean, don't throw shade. You heard me? Don't throw shade because, uh, Y'all going to see that little girl, they talking about that girl um, being disrespectful to the other player after the, after the end of the game. Hey, look, you got young people. That girl who did that is only 21. So they're young. They're excited. And when you're excited, sometimes you can go too far. And sometimes you can't. Just like you can get too angry like the girl she was doing that to. I didn't see it because they didn't replay it on the station. I was watching the game. But they called a technical. And it was her fourth, her fourth personal foul. And everybody was mad until I saw it. She disrespected the umpires by throwing the ball behind her. You can't hold the ball or sit on it. That's a technical. When you throw the ball out of the reach of the imp- uh, uh, of the referees, that's a technical. Technical, but the only problem is if you get caught. Well, she got caught. But anyway, let me keep going. David's young man gave this message to Nabal. In David's name, they waited for a reply. Verse ten: Who is this fellow named David? Neighbor sneered to the young man. Who does the son of Jesse think he is? Well, see there, he knows who David is. He knows he's the son of Jesse. There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take bread and my water to, and my meat that I've slaughtered my shears and give it to a band of outlaws? Who come from who knows where. When he knows. Excuse me. He knows David was somebody. And he needed to treat him properly. But he was he, he was misguided in his thinking. Don't call him outlaws. When when. David saved the whole Israelites by killing uh, Goliath. But this is the problem. You need to keep your mouth shut when you're saying disappointing things about people. 
I'm just saying. Because what happened? Verse 12. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. And look, now David didn't David didn't play. He didn't if he was a little boy, I think they say he was 12 years old, maybe 17. But if he was a little boy and took on Goliath, what is another fool talking about him? So David said, get your swords. And he said, let's go trample on our own. And then 40 men started up with David and 200 remained behind the guard the equipment. In other words, David going down to kick some butt. <laughs> David going down and this is not a... <laughs> This is not an NCAA game. This is a real war. It really is going to be a massacre with David. And meanwhile, Nabal's servants went to Abigail. And see, that's one of the things I really have to work on because I've been married a while. Is God speaking to my wife? Is he using her? Because that's sometimes I hesitate on things. Because I'm trying to... I'm trying to understand which way is which way God is leading me because my wife is a woman of insight. My wife is a woman of understanding. And she will have understandings and I try and listen before I make a determination or make a decision because I understand wise leadership listens to those that are around them. Yeah, I got the title, but I'm not stupid. I got the responsibility, but I depend on to hear what God is saying through her. And man, if you marry a woman of understanding, a woman of insight, you need to practice listening. Practice having a conversation so you can both interchange or inter- be in fellowship to be intimate with each other in every sense of the word. Intimate in enjoying and engaging each other's lives. Intimate with sharing each other's dreams and thoughts. And intimacy in sharing your body with each other. You know, that's that fool's just from TV. Ain't no fun making love when you're mad at the person. No. It's a whole lot better to be in love and let the glory of God be in your bedroom. I'm just telling you from good authority. Verse 14. Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our masters. But he screamed insults at him. In other words, she went and told say, Abigail, I don't know why you married this fool. But this fool, instead of him uh, waiting till the harness calmed down and shooting with uh, wall spray, he went and stuck his head and his feet in a harness nest, screaming insults at David, the king, the warrior. And then look what they said in verse 15. They told Abigail, say, and these men have been very good to us. And we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In other words, they're saying these people were nice to us. Come on, I, I, um, I, I don't like talking about it, but I don't know. It must be on my mind. I pray that she gets her right, her life right with God, or is right with God. 
But uh, I had somebody in my house that I employed to do some work for me in my house. I'm sitting in the house and I put my jewelry in the kitchen in a drawer, closed, wasn't open. And they were waiting on a ride. And when they left, I went to go look for my jewelry and it was gone. And they tried to catch her and they couldn't. But that hurt me. I let you into my personal space. I let you come into my house. And you're going to steal from me. And um, it hurt me. And I understand what they're saying. Say, these men, verse 15, have been very good to us. Why would you hurt people that have been good to you? I understand if you deal with rude people. Because the Bible teaches you to be nice to them even if they hate you. And that, now that's hard, but I've had to do it before. I've had to, I've had to uh, bite my lip because that person had authority. I had to open my heart and, uh, when that person has wronged me. Because i got to find out from God, how do you want me to deal with it? Because i got a situation I'm dealing with now. I'm praying about what to do. Somebody that's been a part of my life for a number of years where they've done some egregious things. I'm, you know, I'm trying to understand, Lord, can we save the relationship or are we going to have to let it go? Because I'm going to have to do whatever God tells me. Because if this person won't listen, if this person won't hear, then our relationship is going to have to end because I'm not going to let you hinder me from being who God called me to be. And I'm definitely not going to hinder you from who God called you to be. If anything, I'm trying to help you. But they said in verse 15, these men have been very good to us. We never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us. The whole time they were with us. And in fact, verse 16, day and night they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. What? You know, I remember when my kids were, well, they're adults now, but I remember when they were very young, they were wanting to go sleep at, you know, have a sleepover at somebody's house. You know, of course, I preferred them having it at mine, but, because I could watch them, I knew what I was going to do. But that's a part of uh, things that kids want to do. They want to have a sleepover. And the thing you want to know, if you entrust somebody with your kids, you want to know that they respected them and treated them right. That's what they're saying. They were a wall of protection to us and the sheep. And he says, verse 17, you need to know this and figure out what to do for there's going to be trouble. Yes, indeed. You don't want to fight. At that time, David didn't lose a fight. You didn't want to mess with David. The only reason Saul is alive because he... David went by what the word says, touch not my anointing and do my prophets no harm. He says, verse 17, you need to know this and figure out what to do because Nabal, your husband, has got us in trouble. Our master and his whole family, he's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Oh my God, I don't ever want to be that person. I got, I got, uh, likes and dislikes, just like everybody else. But I need to, I, I want to make sure I listen. I give people a, time, a chance or an opportunity to tell me what they want or what they desire for me. 
so I can hear from them or follow them. But he said he's so ill-tempered. You've been married to Sally Sue for 20 years and you still won't listen. And she's telling you, they're treating you wrong at the job. Go find you another job. Well, where am I going to find a job? You won't know unless you look. I can't do any better. This bet, No, go look. Because one of the things that I, I, I tell people, and I've told that to other people that started businesses. Okay, what's your skill level? What can you contribute? Because one of the things that will, one of the people that always have jobs are people that do service. People that clean, uh, chefs, barbers, uh, beauticians, lawn care, uh, car washes. Man, I mean, tell you what, in Louisiana, well, I don't know about Cal- certain parts of California because it didn't rain every day. But in Louisiana, we like these dark cars and we like all these, we got all this greenery. And you can get out there and wax it and make it look, have it shining like a brand new penny. And before you can put it in the garage, pollen is, a, a sheet of pollen is over it. But what I'm saying to you, you can make a living doing service. Because I always remember this guy, I believe it was uh, uh, Pastor Bill Winston's church, uh, started off. Uh, doing yard services and went from there to uh, owning uh, schools and all like that, became a multimillionaire doing services. So you can always make money. <laughs> My uncle, I love him. He's, he's, been, he's been in heaven for a number of years now, but he worked at a refinery, but he would, dri- he would drive his bicycle, and his deal was he'd go cut grass. So every evening, he wanted about two or three grasses to cut Monday through Friday. And then he would go there and he would cut the grass. And we're talking about when it meant a lot of money. He wanted $15 a yard. And back then, the minimum wage was like, uh, was probably like 85, 90 cents an hour. Yeah. And so if you got $15 for cutting two or three grasses, that was a lot of money back there. You buy a brand new car for less than a thousand dollars. Brand new. But anyway, let's keep going. Verse 18. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered. Remember what she's doing now. David asked to be fed. Asked for a little help. And what she did, she grabbed what she could cook could quickly. Five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roast grain, a hundred clusters of rape. What is she doing? All, that's all David asked for. But see, this woman had good sense. And that's why you got to train yourself. If you have a wife with understanding, you have a wife with insight, you got to make sure that you, don't listen to fools talking about you, henpeck. If your wife's smarter than you, you better listen to her. If your wife is hearing from God better than you are in a certain area, you better listen to her. And he said, Abigail heard what was needed and she immediately did what was needed. She got figs, raisins, she got fig cakes, she got packs on donkeys and 19 said, donkey and 19 and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. 
But she didn't tell her husband, neighbor, what she was doing. Why? Because she had insight where he didn't. And as she was riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, she saw David, his men, coming towards her. But she did all David asked for. And David was still angry. In verse 21, he said, all the good we did for him, a lot of good it did for this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness. Nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has replied to me evil for good. And you don't want to do that to somebody with that kind of power like David. May God strike him and kill him. That's verse 22. One man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. But look what she did. When she saw David, she got down and she recognized and paid attention that who he was. And she got down off that donkey and bowed before him and fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame. Now, you know, what does a, a person of authority think if the wife has to come say they take the blame for what the man should have done? Why? It's embarrassing. I know Nabal is wicked and ill-tempered. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool. That's what his name is. Just as his name suggests. But I never even saw young men sent you sent. I never even saw the young men you sent. And this is how foolish Nabal is. Now Abigail and Winton saved his life. But when she gets back, look at verse 36. He throwing a big party, celebrating like a king. He was celebrating so much he even got drunk. So she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until the next day. And listen, listen, this is, this is what, what happens, gentlemen. That's why when you've got a wife with insight, that's a precious Jew. You need to put yourself into a position that you're listening to your wife. That's good communication. But look at verse 7. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. And as a result, he had a stroke. He was so mad, so angry. There wasn't no blood pressure pill back then. He had a stroke and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. Now remember, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew is causative. It says, and 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. And then we know in John 10 and 10, New Testament, the thief coming not but to steal, kill, and destroy. God didn't come to kill him, but his decisions is what got him killed. He had a stroke. He was unprotected. And after 10 days, he died. And remember, this, this is the heartbreaking part. Because <laughs> I remember my, uh, my brother-in-law, uh, uh, he had a fellow member of the church he belongs to. His wife died, and he was in his early 80s. And he remarried. <laughs> the new wife wanted to come in and take her pictures down take her curtains down, rearrange the furniture. That old man said, 
She don't want to cook and clean. And all he really was marrying her for was to be his maid, so he quietly um, <laughs> dissolved the marriage. But this is what happened. David recognized she was a widow. And David said, well, you know, God, look what, look at God. <laughs> and about 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. And look what he said. David marries Abigail. Because I'm going to tell you, man, you can fool around and run your wife off because she keep giving you wisdom and you keep ignoring it. But soon as Soon as she get tired of letting you make a fool of her, your relationship, God going to send her a king. That's why I had to change. Like the Bible said, no, like the psalmist said, I know I've been changed. And what you have to hear, what God is telling, when you have a relationship, you know, I use it primarily for the woman, but sometimes a man has an insight. So women... You need to listen to him. Because, man, you can't go in there, Bogart, and say, you're going to do it my way. Well, you, your way might be wrong. Your wife might have a better way. I, 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 I'm no cook. I eat out a lot. That's part of my problem with my, dealing with certain things. But the few things I made, uh, I love sweet peas. And I start making them a few years ago, I started making them. And they were okay, and she would tell me that, and I liked them. But she just gave me the secret. Now, I've been trying to make them for years, and she just told me the secret. I'm not going to tell you my secret. <laughs> put some seasoning in there. And man, I put some of that seasoning in there, and them things will light your eyeballs up. But they taste good. I just finished some yesterday. But remember what he says. A wife, Abigail, was a woman of understanding. And if you're married to a woman of understanding, engage that relationship. Stay committed to your marriage. Do what you have to do. Because he says, I like what he says in Isaiah 25 verse 3. Abigail she was a woman. She wasn't a little girl. She was a grown woman of good understanding and of a beautiful continence. That's what you want for a wife. You want a wife that has good understanding and a beautiful continence. You do want a good looking wife. And let me tell you, they got them all over. Waiting for you to believe God for my son to find his beautiful wife with understanding and continence, and he'll go ahead and be married. Amen. Well, remember what he says in John 3 and 7. You must be born again. Everything I'm talking to you about, I'm ministering to you about, it will never make sense to you unless you're born again. Born again and you study in the Word. And to be born again is real easy, real simple. It's based on a prayer from Romans chapter 10, verse 9. So I'm going to ask everybody, under the sound of my voice, bow your heads, close your eyes, open your heart, think about Jesus, and repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe God sent you to this earth for me. You suffered persecution, beaten beyond human recognition, and even died 
on the cross for me. But on the third day, God raised you from the grave and you're now seated at the right hand of the Father. And now I have the privilege and the honor to decree and declare, I'm born again in Jesus' name. Well, praise the Lord, glory to God. We celebrate you. If you just said that prayer for the first time, or if you were backslidden, you just gave your life back to the Lord, listen, you can contact us. We have a little gift we'd like to send you. You can inbox me on Facebook. You can email me at pastor at prevailingministries.com. Or you can call our prayer line, 318-215-6399. Because we're here for you. We're here to share the goodness of God. But let me remind you, I know a lot of y'all are wondering, what in the world is going on? Well, a lot of these are showing us what is happening is that God is trying to get us to hear. He put the word out there, an opportunity that we would hear and obey. But if not, then he waits and let us suffer until we cry. The problem with him waiting for us to suffer until we cry out is some won't make it. Don't wait, as my uncle, my great uncle said it. Don't wait like I did. I wasted over 20 years of my life not living for God, and now I'm having the most awesome, supernatural life I've ever had in my life because I give my life to the Lord. And for those of you that are dealing with depression, oppression, Wrong thoughts, like that young woman last week wanting to hurt innocent people or even hurt yourself, you can dial 988. They got some highly trained people to help you get some help, get some training, because God will never tell you to hurt an innocent person. Sure, he'll tell you to protect yourself. But his best is you to listen to him And you run the devil off before he gets to your house. But no way would he have you hurt innocent people or even kill yourself. Because God is a God of faith. Because in Romans 4, Abraham said, I'm fully persuaded that what God promised he would surely do. Well, anyway, I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed tonight's final with... uh, Connecticut and San Diego, and I hope it's a great supernatural game. I love a good game. I'm taping it, but I'm on my way home to go see it. God bless you. We love you with the love of the Lord. And remember, you can catch us tomorrow six six. I'm sorry, tomorrow at high noon Central Standard Time for high noon prayer. Listen, hurry up, get your prayer requests in so we can use them. We put them in the container. We pray because we're praying church. And then we'll be back live on Wednesday night, live at 7 p.m. And then Sunday mornings, now the doors open at 10 p.m. Remember, these are all live services. You can even come if you want to come hear me do my podcast. Because I've had a few people come and sit. I don't know what it is. Can anybody see you? You can talk, but they don't even want to talk when they can't see them. But anyway, love you with the love of the Lord. Enjoy the rest of your day. God bless.
Pastor Brown and Prevailing Faith Ministries want to thank you for tuning in and welcome you to email your questions, comments, and prayer requests to pastor at prevailingministries.com. Once again, this has been another episode of the Prevailing Faith Broadcast with your host, Pastor Charles E. Brown, who reminds you to walk by faith, not by sight. And God bless you.